Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Well, hello, and a very cheery, early Merry Christmas to all of you from your resident jolly old elf, I guess. Anyway, we're going to take a look at interesting facts about Christmas. We did this about three years ago when we first started our safe harbor. But hey, we got to renew these ever so often and go over old ground, but maybe in a new way. If you are concerned, wondering, are we going, this is kids safe. Let me just put it that way. All right. Childhood dreams and wonder will survive this. So no need to turn it down. So when was Jesus born? Well, we know he was born and we know where he was born, but the Bible does not give us a birth date. So some people will say probably in the spring, you know something, it's just not that important. What's important is that he was born. And so early on in the Christian um, centuries, they decided to start Christianizing some things. And so let's say that there was a well that they used to say that this particular God would bless people that drank from the well. Well, Christians would then say, it, was, it isn't God that's blessing you. This, the blessings come from God and from the person who made this well. And let's tell you a story of St. Bridget or uh, Ethelwood or something like this. They took the pagan and dedicated it to Christ. And I think that's a fine thing. It doesn't bother me at all. So when someone comes to me and goes, so you're celebrating the pagan festival of Saturnalia, I just laugh, frankly, because there's so many things, the names of the months of the year, the days of the week, all of those have pagan roots. Uh, I wear a wedding ring, pagan roots, gravestones, pagan roots, wearing white at, at weddings, pagan roots, on and on and on and on. We take these things and give it to God. That's our job. So December 25th it is. Unless you're an Eastern Orthodox Christian, in which case uh, Christmas is January the 7th. I always found that to be pretty cool because they can always buy cheaper stuff, can't they? Because the sales start December 26th. But then again, I'm Scottish and so I'm going to have to think about things like that, aren't I? Moving on. Most of the traditions that we have in the West about Christmas have winter origins because winter was a very rough thing to survive. In many pagan mythologies of the Norse and Icelandic and that type, hell exists, but it's an eternal cold, an eternal dark place. So anything that got you through the winter was a good thing. So what did they do? Well, first of all, remember there were no stores to go get things. And so while you could work, you worked and you stored the food and you, you resupplied the best you could. And then during the winter, you had to keep spirits up. And it's around December 25th, actually a few days before in our calendars, that the darkest day hits. And then slowly light and warmth begins to return to the earth. 
in the Northern Hemisphere. So uh, they would give each other ways of surviving the cold. They'd gather and tell stories. They'd bring evergreens in for several reasons. Um, they believed that it had a health effect because it cleaned the air to have evergreen boughs in there and to burn one every so often. And if you are in a uh, thatched you know, mud hut somewhere and it's cold and your animals are in as well because you didn't have separate barns, they're there as well. And you're kind of locked in there for a few months. Freshening the atmosphere would be a good thing. But they also would weave them into circles and that would be evergreen for eternity, this, this hope of spring coming again. And on the, the longest, darkest night of the year, some of the, the groups in Northern Europe would actually burn a, a Yule log. And so this would be a log from an evergreen tree generally, but wrapped with evergreen. And if you've ever experienced one of those in a fire, they pop and snap and it's quite dramatic. And so that's where a lot of this comes from. And by the way, when they would meet and do this, they'd sing songs, tell stories, but they would also share gifts as a way of saying, I want you to survive this long, dark period. And the gifts would be of simple food, like apples and oranges. And some of your grandparents and great-grandparents, that's what they got, were you know, a couple of oranges and apples and maybe a small wind-up toy. Because Christmas wasn't a big commercial thing back then, although we were trying hard to make it that way. Uh, it, it was more of a simple day off work, celebrating Christ, singing songs, relaxing, and sharing bits of food and stories. So sometimes you would do more than toys. Uh, very often, you know, needles, for example, sewing to repair clothes, those were hard to get. And so they would share bone needles or however, whatever substance they made them up. Bone and antler were, were big popular ones. They would share bits of clothing and such. Once again, to give anything away was an act of great sacrifice. And so all of this was going on anyway. And then when they learn about Christ, he is woven into this story in beautiful ways. And so the wreath now becomes eternity and the evergreen is everlasting life. And uh, you know, the Yule log is a celebration of faith and the darkness that God will come back to us in our own times of darkness. And you can go on and on with this because frankly, it does. Um, you can write a whole book about this. Oh wait, many people have. So uh, just be aware, I love all of the traditions and, and the lights, the lights are kind of raging against the darkness. That's really where it came from. Because you normally, back in, in these days, and, and again, in your probably your great-grandparents' day, people went to bed when it got dark. And they got up when it was light. That meant in the winter, they stayed in bed a lot more. Because they didn't have the money. They didn't have electricity. And they didn't have the money to burn candles or burn kerosene lamps. I had the kerosene lamp that was burning in the room where my father was born. You didn't have it on most of the time, but you did for things like that, right? So to light candles against the darkness was a sign of faith, a raging against the darkness and driving it back. And especially those of us who are big fans of the Apostle John and his writings love that metaphor. 
of light versus darkness and light pushing the darkness back. So I'm, I'm a big fan of Christmas lights anywhere, everywhere. And I'm one of those guys that would have them up all year round, even though I know that that's probably not financially wise. There are so many other things. How about, um, why do we have a Christmas tree? Well, the Christmas tree is not exactly the Yule log, but there, there, it's in the genealogy, let's say. But the real kicker was it in Northern Germany and in Denmark and, and around that area in particular. Christmas was a big deal and these Norse and Germanic legends were really powerful. And so they went further and they'd bring in an entire evergreen tree and they would you know, bedeck it with um, bits of paper, basically. You didn't light anything on there unless you wanted to die because back then, again, it would dry out. Um, there was no way to get, no place to go, no fireplace. Fire was unsafe to put near the tree. So they didn't do that but they put little pieces of paper and little sweets or something in the tree. And the kids would then, their job would be to go find the sweets that were in the tree. That was not a big deal except in Northern Europe until 1848. Yeah, we actually have a date for this. When Prince Albert, the consort of Queen Victoria, you might've heard of her, she was in all the papers. In 1848, he brought a Christmas tree into the royal residence. And they bedecked it as royals would uh, with all kinds of special little bits and pieces, still not lights. And they did a drawing of the happy couple, Prince Albert and Queen Victoria by the Christmas tree on the cover of the most popular tabloid of the day, the London Illustrated News. And as soon as everybody saw that, everybody wanted a Christmas tree. And even today, there's fascination with royals that some, somehow goes right over my head. But the Christmas tree really launched out of that northern Germanic area to the world because of that. Well, how about Santa Claus? We're going to talk about him another time. And that will still be kids safe, by the way. But there's so much about him. Uh, the current image of Santa Claus, I will give you this comes from a Civil War cartoonist named Thomas Nast, and uh, N-A-S-T. You can look him up, fascinating drawings, fascinating character. And he brought Santa Claus into the jolly old elf phase. Before then, a lot of the Santa Claus drawings and depictions were of the stern fellow. And you'll find out why when we talk about Santa Claus on another Monday, but we're not doing that today. And then he was even made more jolly in, um, in America, and then it spread to the world through Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola wanted a special uh, happy marketing Santa to really push Coca-Cola at Christmas because sodas used to be a very rare treat. Um, I can still remember being given one bottle from me and my two sisters in the back seat. And my mom and dad had one bottle each, which was not fair because they were bigger and they had the money. But you had to, you know, share. And, the, and you rarely got that. If you got that, that was a big deal. And sodas and all of the obesity issues around them, that's not a healthy thing. So, but they pushed it as a special treat. And so they had to have a really happy Santa doing that. 
And more recently, they've got happy polar bears doing it for some reason, but it works. It sells. We're going to talk about the stockings later, not today. Uh, but I'll, I do want to talk about Rudolph, and we might not be able to do more than just Rudolph today, but hey, we've got a couple of weeks, don't we? Where did Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer come from? Wow. You might think that that's a really old story, just readapted, uh, re and it isn't. It was created out of whole cloth in 1939. Now, those of you that are older, uh, well, let me do it the other way. Those of you that are younger than 50, maybe 55, may never have heard of Montgomery Ward. Montgomery Ward was a major, huge store in America. It used to compete against Sears, which used to be a massive store in America, and JCPenney, which still is a pretty big store uh, in America and elsewhere. They've, they've crossed the border into Canada, I know, because I see them there. But at Montgomery Ward, just like at Sears, you could buy uh, clothes for the kids for school. You could buy tools, um, like in Sears, it'd be craftsmen. Uh, or you could buy a washer and dryer, or you could buy toys for the kids. It was a store that had everything, and that was just a new, wonderful phenomena for those people just coming out of the Depression. And that was 1939. So Montgomery Ward wanted a way to get families and kids back into the store. So they asked one of their copywriters, that's a person that helps develop advertising, to write a story, a Christmas story, that would appeal to kids and that would bring the families into the store. And the copywriter wrote the story, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. The first year, they sent out 2.4 million copies of this. Now again, 1939, no television. Most American homes had a radio in Britain, a wireless. But there wasn't a lot on there except at certain times. You'd gather around for family stories and you'd gather around for the news at other times or a presidential, or, um, presidential address or the Queen's um, speech you know, on Boxing Day, that sort of thing. It was still a special thing, the, the radio was. But libraries were at the school or down the street. Andrew Carnegie, a Scotsman, had provided a lot of those in America. Uh, but again, information, stories, those weren't around. And so when somebody came out with a new story, people gathered around to tell the story and tell it again, Daddy, and tell it again, Daddy. And it took off 10 years later. Was it 10 years? 1949, yes, 10 years later. Gene Autry, a, a Texas phenomenally popular man at the time, wrote the song, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And you still hear it uh, ad infinitum on radio stations everywhere to this very day. That Texas accent of the 1940s uh, is pretty cool. I, I enjoy that. So that's, that's a pretty special thing. But then what really kicked another gear in was in 1964 when a stop-motion movie slash 30-minute special was created for te television, and it was in color. Now, we didn't get color television 
until I think it was 72. So I didn't know it was in color. But in 1964, they did Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the Island of Misfit Toys, Herbie the Elf that really wanted to be a dentist. If you are in America, Canada, or in um, a lot of British Commonwealth countries right now, you're going, oh, I love that one. I did too. It was my favorite. Uh, although Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol was a close second, which shows you my cultural bar had not risen mightily by that point, but I still like it. But I'll, I'll leave you with this because we've hit 15 minutes, about to go 16, and we'll pick up next week. Fair enough? The reindeer have had a lot of names. The first suggestions for Rudolph's name were Rolo or Reginald. I, it might be fun to plug those in the song, see what happens. But also Gene Autry's version of the names of the reindeer stuck. Before then, there were a lot of other names for the reindeer. They were not standardized. I happen to have a few right here. Flossy, Glossy, Racer and Pacer, Scratcher. Seems rather troubling, doesn't it? How about this one? Feckless. And then Ready, Steady, and Fireball. Wow. So these traditions that look to us like they've always been here, a lot of them were due to marketing. Some of them due to a song that came from marketing. But you know what? I don't care. I love it all. I hope you have a great Christmas season. I hope you're tuning in because we are really doing, we started um, November 19th with a series called The Always and Forever Messiah. And then on Christmas Eve, which is on a Sunday this year, we're doing our Christmas Eve service in the morning, but obviously it is there for you to watch in the evening as well. It'll be simple, it'll be toned down, but it will be about our need for a Messiah and peace on earth. I hope you can join us. I've gone on too long. Go about your busy lives, and we'll see you with more of this stuff next week. Cheers.